This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and I am so, so excited for this episode. I'm really glad that we got to work it out so that this could happen. And of course, we are going to talk about one of my favorite ever articles on the No Ceilings NBA website. And I'm here today with the author of said article, Garbage Time Game himself, Albert Gibb. Albert, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Wow, I feel incredible about myself after that intro. First off, I want to say, Nick, it's an unbelievable honor for me to be on your pod and to be able to talk about the stuff that we're going to be able to talk about. So I'm really excited about that. Number two, thank you so much for the high praise that you just gave me and my writing because I am forever insecure about my writing. So you saying that means a lot. So uh, with all that being said, it's freaking great to be here. Well, it is freaking great to have you, and that's really nice. And as someone who also always feels insecure about my writing, I always like to make other people feel better. So, hey, you know, that, that's my role in the No Ceilings crew is always being, you know, <laughs> making other people feel better, right? That's, that's, that's clearly what the editor always does. <laughs> oh, God. And on that happy start, let's talk about your most recent article over on No Ceilings NBA titled Brandon Miller has a sapphire eye and mm -hmm. for those of you who have not read the article first of all please do second of all just a heads up now that there will be a spoiler section for the television show House of the Dragon which I will announce again before we get into that section but let's start off with talking about the subject of the article Brandon Miller of Alabama who had a really great first game of the college season last night as of when we were recording this on Tuesday afternoon. But I wanted to start off our Brandon Miller discussion here with sort of your thoughts on what you saw from him. You know, you can obviously talk about yesterday's game. We'll certainly talk about yesterday's, yesterday's game at some point today. But just sort of what you saw from him on the high school film, starting on the offensive end. So what has really intrigued you about Brandon Miller's offense heading into the season? And what is it about his offense that has you so high on his potential going forward? I think so. The best place I think for me to start with Brandon Miller, <clears throat> excuse me, as an offensive player is it, he's extremely versatile. And the reason why he's so intriguing to me is that he's going to be able to offer a lot of different things at different levels. 
So um, the, the, I guess like the main crux of my article on him was obviously I wanted to talk about his demeanor and the way that he carries himself on the court. But in terms of the offensive side of his game, Brandon Miller is a really dynamic player because of what he can do um, in terms of it as a shooter. I think he's an unbelievable mid-range scorer, uh, at least with what he showed in high school. And I think that's going to translate to the college level and the NBA level as well. And I think even more so on the NBA level than even what he's going to be able to do in college. But the mid-range stuff is unbelievable. He's a guy who, as I mentioned in my article, is very, very comfortable in that range. He's able to use his good handle to get to his spots. He's a guy who's really long, really tall at six foot nine. He may end up even being six foot ten or even taller by the time he's done growing. But on top of that, he shows great shooting touch from that area. He's able to take it into the post a little bit in that mid-post area, use his length to get his shot over pretty much anybody. A guy who, as I mentioned in my article, could shoot over either shoulder which is something that i think is not as easy as people may think it is right as a right-handed player he can go over not just his left shoulder but his right shoulder as well and he's very comfortable in doing that um also on top of that a really skilled passer now something that i thought was unbelievable was that Watching his high school tape and then his EYBL tape, I actually thought he showed more of the passing flashes in his EYBL tape. And then going into last night in his first college basketball game, he showed even more. And and the thing that I mentioned in our group chat that I, I, I loved and just watching him on the screen just brought me so much joy was almost every assist or every good pass that he was making, you could see him like actually celebrating it. Like there was this one pass where he was initiating the pick and roll and then he throws his like hook pass laser to the big for, for a layup or dunk. I don't remember which one it was, but um, for an easy two. And he's literally just hopping around doing a 360 because he's so excited about the pass that he just made. And that is just part of why I love Brandon Miller so much as an offensive player, because he offers so much as a shooter scorer, but can also create and pass the ball at a pretty high level. Now, where he ends up in terms of, his role as an initiator, I'm not sure. Where I'm at right now is I see him more as a secondary um, creator, which is, you know, once we get into my NBA comps for him, will make more sense. But he's got that level of, well, I, I didn't even tell you what the level is, but he's a really high-level passer is what I want to say. And as a scorer, there's a lot to him. Now, his three-point shooting is something that we want to monitor throughout the season. I think he's going to be a good three-point shooter, but there are certain things that he needs to work on. But considering how good of a shooter he is from the mid-range, I think he'll get there from three as well. So I think the key point that you mentioned with the mid-range thing is that that's sort of a level to his game in terms of self-creation that he already has. And you mentioned the three-point shooting in passing. We'll get to it. That's not exactly the greatest strength for him. But I think, you know, obviously you don't want to take away all that much from the first game of the college basketball season. But the biggest thing for me with Brandon Miller's shooting in that game was not that he shot... 0 for 6 from 3 in terms of he didn't make any, but that he took six threes, right? Because, you know, he's already shown at the high school level that he's got this really great ability to get to his spots in the mid-range, as you mentioned, to shoot over either shoulder. And, you know, the versatility thing, I think, there is huge with him. And when you're sort of talking about projecting his mid-range scoring out to the three-point line, I mean, the biggest example for me with this has always been Brooke Lopez, where he went from taking, like, 11 three-pointers in his entire career before his first season where he actually started putting them up from deep to 
you know, being a high volume three point shooter. And the thing with Brooke Lopez was, well, okay, you know, from 18 to 20 feet, this guy's always been a master. He's been like an 80% free throw shooter his entire life. So, you know, is it really that much more difficult for him to step, you know, a couple feet out so he's beyond the three point line versus, you know, having to rebuild the shot entirely? And with Brandon Miller, you know, the fact that he's putting up six threes in that first game is more encouraging to me than the fact that he didn't hit any because, you know, the form looks good, especially from mid range. He's shown that he can pull up in addition to being able to potentially be a spot up guy, even though that's not his greatest strength. But really, the most encouraging thing for me about that first game was just his willingness to take those shots from long range. Yeah, dude, I hundred, I a million percent agree, and that's something that we were seeing even in the preseason um, scrimmages that they had going on at um, Alabama, Alabama, where he, you see him in the in the in the footage, he's putting up shots, and he was off the catch and off the dribble, and he was very freely putting up those shots. So, I mean, and Nick, this is something that I think that you're mentioning that's really really important because there are so many theoretical shooters out there. Right, that you look up, you take, you see them take one shot, and you go, okay, look, hey, the form doesn't look terrible. He might be able to figure out. He might be a good shooter. But if they don't, if the volume isn't there, and they're not actually taking these shots, then it doesn't matter what things look like. If he doesn't actually take the shots, then you can never actually figure out or judge or come to a conclusion on what type of shooter they actually are. And with Brandon Miller, as you mentioned, because he's taking the shots and he's willing to take the shots, even if. He went over six, right? Even though he missed all of them, you still feel better about the trajectory on the shot. And if I can really quickly, um, Nick, in terms of the mechanics of his shot, I think the where he needs to improve is something that Corey mentioned to me on when we did our pod on Brandon Miller on the Draft Act NBA podcast for No Ceilings. A little shameless plug there. But um, the thing that Corey had mentioned that I really agree with is currently where he's at right now as a shooter is very similar to what we saw Tyrese Maxey do when he was in college, where it's more of a push shot right now, and he needs to add a little bit more arc to it. But that is something that is very fixable, 100% fixable, and something that I think will come. And because it, it, it... there is a bit of a stark contrast from the way that his shot looks like from the mid range to three. But if he can tinker with that a little bit, add a little bit more arc, which is very possible. I, I just want to reemphasize it is very possible. Then he can become a high level three pointer. Look at how, look at the progression of, of, of a Tyrese Maxey in the NBA. Tyrese Maxey is a high level three, three, three-level scorer now, and from three-point as well, I think he shot over 40% last season. I think he was at like 90% for the free-throw line last year. So it, it's very possible for Brandon Miller to figure it out. And if he does, we're talking about an absolutely terrifying offensive offensive option. So two follow-ups to that, one of which is absolutely asinine, and the other one I think is actually a valid point. So I'll go ahead and make both, and you can decide which is which. But mm-hmm. the first thing is... Brandon Miller is 6'9". Tyrese Maxey is, what, 6'3"? I mean, you know, the extra yeah. height matters in terms of, you know, if you have a bit of a push shot and the issue is can you get it up over your defender, well, guess what? If you're 6'9", then playing the three, you know, you're going to have a height advantage that Tyrese Maxey is not going to have against pretty much anyone. But 
The other big thing, which I think is really key with Brandon Miller, is how good he is at shooting off the dribble, especially in the mid-range, because usually the biggest issue with guys who have a push shot is that they can't, you know, make those shots off the dribble. I mean, that was a huge concern about Tyrese Halliburton coming into the NBA is, you know, he's got a bit of a push shot. Is he just going to get blocked or is it just going to be an awkward kind of fumbling thing every time he tries to pull up off the dribble? And with Miller, he's already shown, you know, a comfort with pulling up off the dribble, especially in the mid-range. So, you know, it's not even as much a thing of can he figure out this shot release? Because, you know, honestly, given his height, if it's going in, you know, that's really going to be the biggest concern there. But I mean, his comfort that he's shown as a shooter off the dribble is, I think, a huge factor in terms of, you know, okay, is he going to be able to add that three-point range to his game? Because it's not just like he's, you know, trying to figure out how to be a pull-up shooter having only been a spot-up guy his entire life. No, I'm with you. But the one thing I will say, though, Nick, that I I think is to his credit is that I feel like he's a little bit less of a push shooter when he's shooting from the mid range. And so once again, it speaks to the the fact that like because he's less of a push push shooter from the mid range, I think he's going to be able to extend that. And also, we I do want to mention the strength with him is going to be there because he's got a great frame. He has a really, really nice looking frame. Now, his frame is not filled out yet is what it is, but he's got nice broad shoulders. And when you just look at him, you can tell like, oh, he's very easily going to add 15 pounds. Maybe I don't know if it's going to be to that extent, but weight and mass is going to be added like a Cade Cunningham, right? Cade Cunningham, when you saw him in high school, it's like, oh, great frame. Saw him in college. Great frame. This past offseason, I believe he's up to like 235 now or something. So I, I think Brandon Miller very easily is going to be able to add more strength to that frame. And with that, I think he might just from being stronger and working and retooling his release a little bit will very easily kind of eliminate that push shot aspect of his shooting, which is exciting. I'm, I'm really excited about it. His great frame clearly comes into play on the offensive end. It also comes into play on the defensive end. So let's transfer over now to talking about his film on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, granted, it's high school film, and he's a 6'9 dude who's a projected first-round, maybe even lottery pick in the NBA. You know, he's going to have a lot of nights where he's going up against dudes who are 6'3 and playing center because they're the tallest guy on their high school team. So, you know, that's one thing in terms of the defensive evaluation, but... I want to get your thoughts because what stood out to me the most with him was, you know, in terms of his shot blocking, he's not like your most ridiculous kind of pogo stick level athlete, but you know, there were some possessions that he took off on the defensive end, but when he was really locked in on the defensive end, his anticipation really stood out to me in a positive way. So what are your thoughts on what you saw from Brandon Miller's film on the defensive end? I love that you just were you used the word anticipation because that's what it is. He was great and and anticipating the shots, but also really good at using his length. A guy who, whether it's you know defending out on the perimeter or as you mentioned, right protecting protecting the rim, a guy who understood that hey, I'm really long, and I have to use this to my advantage. And a guy like you mentioned. Um, Nick, he, the the role that he played in high school was very strange for Cane Ridge High School, where he wasn't he wasn't asked to be the center, but in a lot of ways functioned as a center at times with the amount of rim protection that he had to do. But he did a great job of it. And the thing that I enjoyed about him, on top of the rim protection that you just mentioned, is that yeah, you know what, Nick, I'm going to agree with you. The the buy in factor wasn't always there. He wasn't always locked in. Now, to be fair though. 
there are very few high school defenders that are locked in all the time. And there are a lot of different factors behind it. I feel like the only guy who is always locked in and forever locked in is going to be Jairus Walker. It might just be me. I don't know. I love him forever. But here's the thing. So with Brandon Miller, he's a guy who's great at using his length. And the thing that I enjoyed about him especially was when he would come out to the perimeter when he was guarding the pick and roll and he's showing and he's blitzing or whatever, he used his length and his footwork and his hips to, to really pester the guards. And, and he did a great job of that and forcing a lot of the guards to make bad decisions. And that's something that I think when we think about his long-term potential as an NBA defender, he won't necessarily be the big defending a pick and roll, but just watching him guard in space, the way that he could flip his hips, the way that he was using his length, the way that he was moving his feet pretty well. I, I, I wouldn't say he was like elite moving laterally, but he was very good. I thought he was very good at times. Also, not so great at times. But once again, that goes that comes to you know focus and concentration and buy-in and stuff like that. But if I'm thinking about the high-end outcome for Brandon Miller as a defender, I have to be excited because of the length once again. But also, the, the just the ability is there is what I'm trying to say. Now, when he puts all the ability and talent and desire together, then we're talking about an extremely high-level defender. But once again. The anticipation you mentioned at the rim was great. Out in the perimeter, out in space, I thought he did a great job of moving his feet and moving his hips and using his length. So overall, I think my evaluation for Brandon Miller as a defender is he's a high-level defender who I think will only get better. And with in, with his frame filling out, too, in the future, even better. And, and another aspect of defense that should be mentioned is rebounding. I think he averaged like 6.97 rebounds in high school, which is good as well, right? So all of that together, I think we're talking about a pretty solid defender to start, but he could eventually become a really, really good defender as well. So versatility, you mentioned right at the top as a huge thing for Brandon Miller. And that applies on both ends of the floor. I think the biggest thing really for me with the evaluation is he has great hips. Like, you know, he isn't always the quickest laterally, but he always flips his hips, you know, well, the way he needs to, he always, you know, gets the right angles. And that's, I think going to be the biggest thing for his defensive projection going forward is, you know, okay, he moves well enough on the perimeter to guard guys on the perimeter. And, you know, he's, developed in a way as you know a shot blocker type to the point where you know okay he's not going to be a center at the nba level but if you're relying on a guy for weak side shot blocking you can do a lot worse than brandon miller and that's i think you know really huge for the projection is again going back to versatility i mean something that i mention on this podcast all the time is you know what i think of as guys who are connectors guys who fill multiple different roles for a team because you know if you're someone who a coach can rely on as someone who can create their own shot and be a secondary creator when the ball is in their hands, you know, and on the other side of the floor, be able to guard multiple positions, be able to be someone who you can rely on in a switch scheme, you know, not just on guys, his own size, but, you know, on quicker guards as well. He does much better than a lot of six, nine, six, ten guys at staying in front of other players on the perimeter. And, you know, ultimately when we are projecting forward to Brandon Miller's potential NBA future, there are a lot of different avenues where he can earn rotation minutes for an NBA team. You know, it's not just something where you're a Cam Thomas type where, okay, you're going to put in, you know, a ton of points, but A, is it going to be all that efficient? And B, are you doing anything else to help your team? Or, you know, the absolute flip side of that, you know, you get guys who are, 
I mean, you know, going a little further back, not quite modern NBA, but, you know, your Tony Allen types in more recent days, your Matisse Thybul types of even if you're this all world level defensive player, if you can't do something on the other end, it's going to be hard for coaches to find playing time for you. And that's really what excites me the most about Brandon Miller is he has avenues to earn playing time in multiple different ways on both ends of the floor. Nick, I freaking love what you just said, because for me, when I think about guys who end up getting taken at the top of the draft, it really is how many layers are there to your game, right? And in what different ways and facets can you make a defense or an offense think about you? Right. And that's the thing with Brandon Miller that excites me. And I think from everything that you just said, excites you as well, because on the offensive side of the ball, he offers so much that a defense has to worry about so many different things. Oh, my goodness. This guy can score from the mid range. He's a really good passer. He's even shooting from three. There are levels, different things that you have to consider uh, when he's playing defense, right? So on the, the opposing team, when they're playing offense, they have to worry about his length, about his size, about his anticipation, about the reads that he's making, about his mobility as a defender out in space, in the post, whatever. The more layers and levels there are to your game, the higher you are as a prospect in terms of your draftability and where you end up going, which is why for me personally, I have Brandon Miller at number five on my big board. Because I really do believe he can offer so many different things on both ends of the court. So as you mentioned, he's not a specialist, right? He's not a guy that's going to do one thing really, really well and everything else is subpar. I believe that his 1% ultimate outcome could be a guy who's really good at a lot of different things. And that's when you start talking about a quote unquote star, right? Now, for me personally, where I see Brandon Miller becoming or what his outcome being, is I think he's going to be a really high level number two. I think he's going to be a guy that potentially even on a championship team could be a secondary option who supports the supernova superstar, but does it at a really high level to the point where he's the number two on a championship winning team. It's kind of how I see Brandon Miller's outcome. But all of that is because of what you just said. Right, because there are different layers and levels to his game that I think he could end up being that type of player. So this is actually a good way to transition into our next section. So let's go and talk about some player comps for Brandon Miller. And the first player comp that we're going to talk about is basically a player comp that you just made but didn't actually say the guy's name. So... Let's start with your thoughts on the comparison between Brandon Miller and Chris Middleton. Um, for sure. Um, I, I, my mind kept going to Chris Middleton as I watched Brandon Miller play in high school. And I know like it, it's to the point where Corey's even mentioned guys like Paul George. Now, the reason why I didn't go that far to Paul George, where, where even Paul George is a self-proclaimed num- number two. Now he said it himself in the preseason. He said, I'm number two to Kawhi. And meanwhile, Kawhi isn't seeing the floor. So I don't know what that means anymore. But in terms of Chris Middleton, uh, the reason why I like that comp so much is because, and, and the, the other guys I like as well, but I like the Chris Middleton comp because Chris Middleton, like Brandon Miller, unbelievable in the mid-range, right? Chris Middleton is so good from that 18 to 20, 22 feet, right? He's so good in that range. He's an absolute technician there as well, knows how to use his size. Guy with a big old butt knows how to use that to his advantage. 
create space for himself without being a freak athlete or even like a, you know, a high-end athlete. He's just a guy who plays with a lot of finesse, plays with a lot of savvy, can be a guy who can initiate the pick and roll, who can make decisions for you as an offensive creator. Now, do you give him the keys to the car every single time? No. You don't, right? He's not your number one creator, but a guy who as a, as a secondary tertiary option, creating chances for you, creating opportunities for you on the offensive end is a guy that you trust. You don't have any concerns about giving him the ball and asking him to make decisions for you. Now, you don't want him to do it all the time, but in key spots, he can do it for you. So I like that comp a lot because Chris Middleton, if you go back to the, the Bucks winning the title in 21, Middleton was huge every step of the way he was so reliable so important to their success the things that he was doing in support of Giannis was so great and so for me when I think about Middleton I can see him playing that role like Middleton he's not like a raw raw he's not going to be talking crap on the court a lot he's very quiet and composed about the way that he carries himself but he gets his work done and he contributes to the to the team constantly whether it's by doing things or just by his presence as well so that's why i like that comp a lot actually for him so we'll go more into the mentality stuff with brandon miller later but i think it's interesting to you know sort of the fact that you brought up the two ends of chris middleton versus paul george as a super high-end comp but, you know, I think Brandon Miller's probably probably in the middle between the two of those in terms mm-hmm. of athleticism. I mean, Paul George, especially early on in his career, was, you know, one of the freakiest athletes at 6'10 that we've seen in the NBA. Brandon Miller is not that. On the flip side, Chris Middleton is, you know, kind of a bit plodding at 6'8", you know, not exactly someone who gets up for dunks all that much, if at all, you know, not really not really a shot-blocking type in the way that Brandon Miller could be on the defensive end, but... I think the Chris Middleton comp is really interesting in the sense that, you know, yeah, maybe he's not your number one guy, but what NBA team could not use a Chris Middleton, right? What NBA team is there that could not happily plug in someone along those lines to, you know, whatever team they have and be, okay, you know, going back to the Paul George thing, right? Like, all right, uh, our Kawhi is out, so we need 35, 10, and 5 from you, right? You know, there are a lot of nights where Paul George can just say, okay, I'll do that. But, you know, the flip side is Paul George was the leading man on the Pacers teams that were really the only challenge to the Miami Heat teams of the early 2010s. And I'm not sure Brandon Miller ever gets quite to that level, which is why I think, you know, I really like the Chris Middleton comp that you made. He's someone who, you know, again, going back to the whole versatility thing, can plug a whole lot of roles and can fit into virtually any NBA context. No, 100%. I'm... I. And once again, for your listeners, our listeners out here, it's important to note that when we do these comps, it's never a one for one, right? It's it's always like a prospect chemistry type of thing. And I, I think, of course, it, I think Brandon Miller, as you mentioned, has to still improve a little bit from the outside for him to be at a Chris Middleton type of level. But yeah, I, I like it a lot. And um, the reason why I get excited about that comp is that I, in my mind, I think there's a very real world where Brandon Miller is, uh, I won't say much better, but a better defender than Middleton as well. So if you consider all that, that's like a really, really good player that in my mind is 100% worth taking in the top five. Because like I get it. I know a lot of people will be like top five, like that guy should be a superstar. And I'm like, well. Yeah, I can see that point. But at the same time, like, would you really not like taking a 
bonus, like a rock solid number two option for a potential title winning team number two at number five. Like, I think it's, in my opinion, that's still really, really good value. So I think that's why I have Miller as high as I do. So because you're you, you, of course, had to throw in a 90s NBA comp. So (laughs) 90s NBA comp here for Brandon Miller is Glenn Robinson, which I thought was another interesting one. And, you know, something you sort of touched on earlier was he was a pretty solid rebounder in high school. But the thing that, you know, other than the fact that he was willing to take three point shots, the thing that stood out to me from Alabama's first game was he was all over the boards. He had 13 rebounds last night and he was, you know, there was like one play right at the very beginning of the game where he takes a three, misses the three, immediately knows it's going to be off, charges his way to the rim and gets a layup for the first bucket of the game. And, you know, that for me is like, okay, if effort was a concern for him, it certainly wasn't on that play. And, you know, certainly something that Big Dog Robinson made people do every night is feel his presence. And, you know, even though, again, we'll get more into the mentality stuff later with Brandon Miller, but you know, there's a very similar sort of vibe of maybe not the loudest guy in terms of, you know, being the most vocal screaming voice, but you feel his presence every night. A hundred percent. So, um, <laughs> I, I appreciate the little shout out because like, I, for me, the nineties is when basketball became real to me and I really fell in love. And my dad was a huge NBA guy and my dad was the one who introduced basketball to me. And is the reason why I, I'm a Nick fan. So um, the nineties was such a formative time for me as a basketball fan. And I will never forget Glenn Robinson. Glenn Robinson was a guy that I had his rookie card. I had a ton of, Glenn Robinson basketball cards randomly. I don't know. Like I think whether it was tops or whatever, they just liked giving out Glenn Robinson cards. So I had a lot of his cards growing up and he was a guy that like, I just really enjoyed playing because of exactly what you mentioned. He was, he wasn't really talking much. He was kind of not that he was quiet either, but just, he was like a bulldog. I know his, his nickname is big dog, but he was like this guy who, as you mentioned, you could always feel him on the court, but he was such a tough bucket getter. And I was just, I was, as I was preparing um, for this pod and preparing for, you know, the article that I wrote, just looking at his stats, like he walked into the league and averaged 22 points a game. Like that's the type of guy that Glenn Robinson was. He walked into the league and was like, no, I belong here. Um, He forever averaged about like six rebounds a game. And I could see that with Brandon Miller as well. And just going back to the Glenn Robinson thing, it's just that. I really appreciated how Glenn Robinson was never an elite athlete. Nobody looked at Glenn Robinson and was like, oh, this guy pops as an athlete. He was just a tough professional bucket getter. And that's exactly how I think Brandon Miller is going to function on the next level. Now, I do believe Brandon Miller is a little bit better of an athlete than Glenn Robinson was. However, um, he's not a freak athlete either. He's not going to be mistaken for a Scoot Henderson or a Cam Whitmore or an Amen Thompson. He he's not that level of an athlete, but he has a really tough mentality mentality. He's not afraid. He can go and get a bucket. He can go and post you up. He's gonna be, in my opinion, hopefully, um, I, I think he's gonna be a high efficient, high efficiency type of scorer. And um yeah, and the, and the and the thing that I really liked about Glenn Robinson too, if you go back and look at his playoff numbers and the way that he played in the playoffs for the Bucks with you know the Sam Cassell you know Bucks teams back in the day with Ray a young Ray Allen was there would be games where he'll throw in like a twenty one ten and ten, you know he'll throw in these games where he'll have, have like seven eight nine assists, and I think 
Brandon Miller is that type of player as well, where I don't think he'll ever average 10 assists per game. Uh, who knows? I might, be, I might be wrong. But he is a, a good enough passer where he might get you six, seven, eight, nine assists in a game randomly. And you're just like, holy crap, Like, where did that come from? And it's because he's that good of a passer. And I think Glenn Robinson wasn't an, an elite passer, but he did have passing chops to him as well, which is why he came to mind. So the third comparison that you have, I think, is also really fascinating in terms of the Brandon Miller evaluation. Franz Wagner, who is someone who, in his draft class, I was high on, basically because of the exact reasons that we've been talking about why we both believe in Brandon Miller. Just extreme versatility on both ends of the floor. Someone who you can rely on to fulfill multiple roles. You know, Throw him in as a three, let him post up smaller guys, shoot mid-range shots over either shoulder, and you know, switch on to guys in... You know, switch out to guys on the perimeter if he has to, or, you know, throw him in there as a small-ish ball four, but not exactly all that small, you know, given how big Brandon Miller is, you know, just throw him in there, have him defend, have him, you know, maybe space out, hopefully to the three-point line, but at least to 20 feet, you can rely on him as a guy who can space the other team out. And, you know, with Franz Wagner, he's had a couple of games early in his NBA career where he's just exploded. There was one game last year, I think he put up 38. And it's just like, you know, wow, I was, you know, coming out of college, the whole evaluation on him is like, this is a guy who could be a 10-5-5 and guy for many years. And then, you know, all of a sudden he's putting up 38-point games. It's like, okay, you know, maybe I maybe I undersold what he can what he can do out there. And, you know, Brandon Miller, I think, is more aggressive than Franz Wagner showed, at least early on in his college career. So that, I think, is a really interesting comp because Wagner is someone who I was high on heading into his draft and then... Within two months, I was like, wow, I should have been even higher on him than I was. No, 100%. And the thing, so the reason why I landed on Franz Wagner as one of my comps is because of his size and his role. So I think with Brandon Miller, him being a similar 6'9 type of guy and what he can do with the ball in his hands, but also the role part was really important to me because when Franz Wagner came into the league, I saw him more as like a number three option. Right, a guy who's going to be rock solid as a defender, who I think is going to shoot it well enough from the outside. He's going to do little things for you here and there, but isn't going to be like a, I don't know, primary, secondary creator. Now, the thing that shocked me when he got into the league, well, not shocked me, but I was very um, excited to see was that he can be relied upon as a secondary creator. And some may even argue that one day he could be a primary. Now, I'm not there. I don't think I'm at the point where I see Franz Wagner being a primary creator for a team, but as a secondary, he is a high-level secondary creator who has absolutely no problem initiating pick and roll, making high-level reads all across the floor. He can hit the skip pass, weak side corner. He can he can run the pick and roll. He can play. He can do so many things that I enjoy as a, with a guy at that size with the ball in his hands. So that was part of the reason why I landed on him as well, because I think Brandon Miller can do that as well. And even in that first game last night showed hints of being able to do that, right? With, because we, we kind of messed sorry, we kind of mentioned it in passing, but Brandon Miller has a good handle as well. He's not like ball in the string type of Chris Paul type of handle, Rod Strickland type of handle, but he has a good handle for his size that he can utilize to create place for him, himself and for others. So that's kind of why I landed on Franz Wagner as well. Yeah, I'm glad you went back to the handle because I think that's an important part of the Brandon Miller discussion is 
he has a very functional handle. You know, again, as you mentioned, he's not going to be pulling off the Rod Strickland ridiculous dribble maneuvers. He's not going to be, you know, pulling AI crossovers and stepping over people anytime soon. But, you know, really with his handle, he gets where he needs to be. You know, yeah. he gets to his spots in the mid-range. He can drive all the way to the basket, you know, without, you know, you worrying about, oh, no, he's going to fling the ball into the second row, you know, because he's trying to gather and he can't actually gather. You know, he has a handle where he can do everything that he needs to do with it. And, you know, in theory, if that improves longer term, that would be a huge part of him potentially being more than like a number two, number three type guys, if he can get better with that. But I mean, at this point, it's more than good enough for what he needs to do with it. 100% agree. I, I mean, like, like Franz Wagner is the same way, right? Franz Wagner has a good handle, but it's not elite, right? It's not like a, this unbelievable ha- handle, but at 6'9", like we always have to remember how big these guys are, right? At 6'9", going against the guys that he's going to be going against with the ball in his hands, it's more than good enough. And it's it, it, long as the handle is tight enough for him to be able to make different decisions with the ball in his hands, that's plenty good. And I think that's what Brandon Miller has, where um, he can do some combo moves. He can get a little shifty. He's not super shifty. I think Jarris Walker definitely has more shake to him with the ball in his hands, but it's more than good enough. As you mentioned, he gets to his spots. He can get to his shot. That's more than enough at 6'9", potentially even 6'10". So I'm right there with you. All right. We are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. And then if you've been wondering why Albert's piece was entitled Brandon Miller has a sapphire eye, you will be finding out right after this. All right. Albert, the moment I have been waiting all day for the part of this podcast where we can talk about the reason why you said Brandon Miller has a sapphire eye. So for those of you who have not watched the HBO television show House of the Dragon or read the accompanying book Fire and Blood, this is your spoiler alert. We will be talking about House of the Dragon quite extensively in the next section and I will give an outro when we talk about our wrap-up section and therefore are no longer spoiling the show, but Honestly, if you've read Albert's article, you hopefully watched House of the Dragon, had some idea of what was going on. And if you didn't, I mean, you've already made that mistake once, so you might as well listen to the rest of the podcast here. So with Brandon Miller, the part that we've sort of touched on but not gone in depth about this entire podcast is his mentality. And that was where you made the comparison to, again, spoiler alert section starting right here, Aemon Targaryen, the third child and second son of... Viserys the first Targaryen and Alicent Hightower. And this was, I mean, the main reason why I love this article so much. Obviously, your excellent writing is always fun to read, but you were never going to not get me to talk about House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire whenever I have the opportunity. So this is my hijacked opportunity to make this basketball podcast about House of the Dragon for a moment. Brandon Miller and Aemon Targaryen have a very similar sort of way that they carry themselves of, if you don't understand that I am the best one out here, that's too bad for you, but I know that I'm the shit, and if you don't understand that, that's on you, pal. And that's, you know, that's a huge part of the Brandon Miller mentality. And it was funny that you mentioned, you know, his animation level when, you know, how excited he was when he was dishing out assists last night, because, you know, normally his his MO is no, of course I made that ridiculous pass. I'm the best. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And Nick, like ah, the connection came to me so easily. 
when I when I watched Brandon Miller play because there's this this arrogance to him that I love. And a lot of times, like, I don't know if people can, there, there could be a definitely a, a negative connotation when you hear the word arrogant, uh, arrogance, but really when it comes negative to- <laughs> connotation to arrogance, no, come on. but with Brandon Miller, it's a positive. Like I love so much how he carries himself around the court, at least from what I saw in high school. Right. And even last night in, in that first game, as you mentioned, like he, he walks on the court, and without having to say I belong, he says I belong. And it's through his mannerisms. It's through his confidence. It's through his play, right? Just it, how how assured he is in like every little thing that he does. He's so confident in every decision that he's making. And ultimately, it feels like he walks on the court. And he's like, yeah, I am freaking great. And I'm not here to like make you guys smile. I'm not here to make you guys enjoy basketball. I'm here to kill people. I'm here for big. It, so the reason why all of this connected for me that I didn't put in my article, cause I thought it was too much. I don't know. I wanted to like, I write a lot when I write these articles. So I wanted to cut some stuff out, but after the time jump, no, you already gave a spoiler warning. So I'm just going to go right into it. Yeah, no, it's this past. That. <laughs> if you're still here, then you ask for this. After the major time jump and we get like adult Eamon Targaryen, one of my favorite scenes in the whole series is when Eamon is out in the courtyard and he's going at it with scumbag piece of shit, Kristen Cole, and they are going at it in the courtyard. And I love when Kristen Cole, like he pretty much Eamon like beats the shit out of him. Right. And Kristen Cole goes, Hey man, you're going to be ready for tournament soon. And I freaking love where Eamon Targaryen, like literally just like, brushes it aside and goes i don't give a shit about tournament like i Mm -hmm. loved that line like the execution of that line the way that he said it the way that he looked when he said it like really encompasses aemon targaryen as a character like i he's just like dude get the hell out of my face with tournaments you know why i've been put on this planet i've been put on this planet to kill people and to like do it in a freaking nasty way like i absolutely loved that scene and that line so much and like really it, it, that's just who he is and i love that you mentioned the second son's aspect like at the end of i think it was episode one or two when damon's having that talk with corliss valerian right like we second are the son, second yeah. sons all that stuff and like Eamon is actually the second son of this series in my opinion with the way that he carries himself now it's going to be really interesting because you know for our book readers out there we know what's coming between Eamon and um Eamon and damon Everybody. Yeah, uh, Eamon and everybody. That's true. true. That is true. But more specifically, we know it's going to happen with Eamon and Damon, right? And in that way, they are very similar with the way that they're kind of angry. And that came to my mind with Brandon Miller because Brandon Miller currently isn't being discussed in the top five, other than uh, the smart folks at noceilings.nba.com. But he's not really a top-end guy right now for a lot of people. The way that he's being ranked, whether it's by all the different media outlets, he's kind of like, I don't know, like late lottery, you know, teens, 20s, maybe even early second round for some evaluators out there. And I, in, in my opinion, with the way that Brandon Miller carries himself, I'm sure he sees it all. I'm sure he knows it all. And he wants all of those people to regret everything that they're saying about him right now is how I envision Brandon Miller because of the way that he carries himself on the court. So just going back to your original point, like I, it's just Brandon Miller is such a scary guy, not just because of his ability with the ball in his hands or without the, the, not just on the court, but 
I feel like he just lives with a giant chip on his shoulder. The second son type of energy, second son type of mentality where, yeah, you guys want to doubt me. You want to put me in a box. You want to tell me I can only do X, Y, and Z. I'm out to shock the world and I'm going to do it very easily because I'm freaking great. So you quoted Eamon Targaryen from episode eight, talking Mm -hmm. to piece of absolute human garbage, Christopher (laughs) Cole and... I have a different Aemon Targaryen quote that I wanted to bring up from the next episode, episode nine, also with piece of human garbage, Kristen Cole, when they are trying to find Aemon's brother, Aegon, who in theory is about to be the king. um, And they're looking for Aegon in, let's just say, a not very nice part of King's Landing. Mm -hmm. And Aemon says you know i'm gonna try and read the line here i'm not gonna be you and mitchell so bear with me here but you know basically what he says is describing himself to start ever the good soldier in search of a wastrel who's never taken half an interest in his birthright it is i the younger brother who studies history and philosophy it is i who trains with the sword who rides the largest dragon in the world it is i who should and then that's where kristen cuts him off but He's already said everything he needs to say, right? Yeah. You know, so first of all, he's not actually the next in line to be <laughs> king. Aegon right. has three kids and two sons who Aemon would, by definition, be usurping to sit on the Iron Throne, which, yeah. you know, dicey to start. But it's just all right there in that line of just, I'm the one who puts in the effort. I'm the one who tries to be, you know, worthy in a sense to live up to the name of Targaryen that has been put upon me. You know, why should I not be the one who's wearing the crown? And, you know, similarly with Brandon Miller's mentality, it's like, you know, I know what I can do out there on the court. I know what these other fucking losers can't do, which is any (laughs) of the stuff that I can do. You know, why is this asshole in the top five? It should Mm -hmm. be me. Right. Yeah. It's that strong second son energy of I have put in the time and the effort to be the best. And now that I have put in that time and effort to be the best, you know, if you're not going to see me as the best, I don't give a shit about tourneys, right? You know, mm-hmm. if it doesn't matter, I don't give a shit. But when it comes down to the real moments, you know, Aemon Targaryen is saying, I should be the one to sit on the throne because my brother's a fucking pathetic piece of shit. And yeah. I've got it all going on, you know? Yeah. And that's a very clear connection to the Brandon Miller mentality for me. <laughs> no, 100%, dude. And I think, like, the the funniest part is when... We fast forward to the coronation and Aegon is about to take the Iron Throne and he, he the crown's being the crown from the Conqueror, Aegon the Conqueror, is being placed on his head. The look that Aemon gives him from the side is it's a it's a pretty bone chilling look. And there it's such a loaded look, right? Like it's in that moment, it's like, yeah, you're my brother. And I'm going to acknowledge that this is happening for you. But, bro, you better know that you better handle your shit because I'm right behind you is kind of like his energy. And I imagine, like, I think there are a lot of different outcomes to how this upcoming basketball, the college basketball season goes. But if there is a world where, for whatever reason, Brandon Miller ends up not going in the top five or in the top ten, I'm going to be really excited to see what he looks like. Cause I, I do think he's going to be good enough where he gets, he gets invited to the green room. I really do want to see how he reacts and to the types of looks he gives, because 
it's the same energy, man. He's got the same type of energy. I think it's going to be full Arya Stark slash Draymond Green. He has a list of every single person who was <laughs> taken ahead of him, and he's going to carry that thing to his grave until he's taken every single one of them down. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and that, that it's it's why I love him so much, and why I, I I hope I'm not being irrational in my love for him. I hope this is all rational for our listeners out there. But it, it's it's. Not everybody has that mentality. And I don't want to name names and shame different players in the league or whatever, but not everybody has that same mentality. I believe some people are just born with it or some people really, you know, because of different life circumstances or whatever, they end up there where they have that type of mentality and that type of hunger and desire. And that type of hunger and desire really makes me want to bet on him because there are some guys who are born with all the talent in the world with all the athleticism in the world, with all the ability, but they don't have the desire and they end up flaming out. Brandon Miller, where he may be lacking in certain areas, where Aegon Targaryen is lacking a whole eye, I think Brandon Miller can always compensate with his desire, with his self-belief, with his desire to kill. I think all of those things are going to make him a truly wonderful, excellent NBA player. Now, uh, the way that Eamon, Eamon Targaryen turns out is not how I want Brandon Miller to turn out. Um, because I don't want Brandon Miller to ever be a deplorable human being or a deplorable basketball player. However, I do hope he always holds that, that level of self-confidence and self-esteem where he always believes in himself and he's ready to go head-to-head, eye-to-eye with anybody. It's that fascinating mix that Eamon Targaryen and Brandon Miller have of simultaneous nonchalant, I don't care about any of this, mixed with the arrogance of, no, I'm better than you. And if you give me a chance to prove it, I will prove it, but I don't need a chance to prove it to know that I'm better than you. No, a hundred percent. Damn, that's that's a good one, Nick. It, that's exactly what it is. Thank that's literally <laughs> no, but I'm just like pro- <laughs> I'm just processing as you say it, and it's like Aegon is like the, the the exact opposite, right? He was given everything from when he was a boy, when he was a child. He was the oldest son, and you know he was given a room to ba- masturbate out of the window. He was given uh, literally everything that he could ask for. <laughs> well, the other funny thing about Aegon though is yeah. in the sixth episode, so before the second after the first big time jump before the second big time jump where they're in the dragon pit and you know, all the people in the dragon pit are telling Jaceris who is Eamon's nephew, but Jaceris, you know, basically, you know, you need to work on mastering these things as Aegon has with Sunfire, you know, in the first, before the first time jump you see, and, you know, also when all the kids are training in the yard and, you know, Aegon is beating everybody up, you know, it's, that first section, it's like, okay, he's actually putting the effort. He's actually trying. You know, he's got this natural ability, whereas Amond does not have a dragon at the start of episode six, and it weighs on him heavily. Yeah. And, you know, it gets into the moment that you mentioned at the top of the piece, you know, citing the classic uh, cold-blooded gif from the <laughs> Dave Chappelle show. But, you know, <laughs> when he literally just goes up to his aunt, I think? No, whatever. Targaryen family is, you know, yeah, whole freaking Targaryen family wreath, not a Targaryen family tree. But like, <laughs> you know, when he goes over, you know, that's in the next episode. In episode six, Aemond is the one that doesn't have a dragon. He's the one that's getting taunted mercilessly for not having a dragon. And, 
you know, Egon is the one where the dragon pit keepers are saying, you know, oh, he's got this natural ability. He's just mastered it, you know, and then they go onto the yard to train and it's like, it's clear that Egon knows what he's doing. And then he just stops trying, you know, it's like you get the six year time jump and it's very clear in that time, you know, that quote that I mentioned with Eamon, all those things that he was putting in the effort, he was putting in the time to do, you know, it's like maybe Aegon did have more natural talent, quote unquote, than Eamon did. But if you, you know, give up and stop trying and stop putting in the effort because you don't need to anymore, you know, that's when you get guys like, and I hate doing this because he's the guy that I always come back to for this, but Cliff Alexander, who was a top five recruit Mm. coming out of high school, gets to Kansas, all of a sudden can't just athletically bully people anymore. And you realize that's actually really all he had to his game was just athletically bullying people and no one was ever able to stop him. And then until, you know, until someone could, right. And then that's sort of the end for him. And with Aegon, it's like, okay, he was good enough, young enough that he's like, I don't really care anymore. I'm just going to do all the absolutely depraved, fucked up shit that I'm going to do. And Amon's the one that's actually putting the work in. So, yeah, that goes back to the second son thing, right? His confidence was earned. And that's the same kind of thing with what we're hoping to see with Brandon Miller is, you know, he has the moments of joy and excitement for, you know, when he's making those passes and he's, you know, making his teammates happy, but also has that sort of quiet confidence as opposed to just, you know, being super brash and out there. And that's, you know, another sort of thing that I think they have in common with their mentalities is like, no, you know what? I actually have put the work in and you over there, you haven't done enough because you're not as good as I am. Bingo. Bingo. Nick, that was perfect. I really agree with everything that you said. And, and another example of that, that we have to remember that I mentioned in my piece and it actually is in the title of my piece is the fact that Eamon Targaryen has a sapphire eye. And that sapphire eye, when you look at it, is so beautiful. The, the, the shade of blue that they use on the show um, for his eye was so beautiful to look at. But it's, it's this beautiful example of everything that he had been through to get to that moment, right? Where he's at Storm's End and he's ready to, well, do some stuff to his, uh, his younger nephew. But <clears throat> the, the reason why all of that is so important to me is that even go back, even when you go back to his aunt's funeral, when he decides to mount Vagar and become the new rider of Vagar, the thing that was so alarming to me was, number one, he was still such a young boy. So to have the courage to go and attempt to have your, have yourself become the rider of the largest dragon in the world at the time was unbelievable bravery and commitment to him wanting to be great and him wanting to come above where he was, right? But on top of that, no one told him to do it. Like he's this young kid who's like there standing around his drunk brother and he goes, you, you see like the mental torment that he's in before he decides to run over to Vagar. And he's thinking, you could tell he's calculating everything like, damn, like I'm getting clowned on by my younger nephews, my brother. I'm shorter than everyone. I'm weaker than everyone. But hey, here's my shot. Here's an opportunity for me to come up, become stronger and grab this, 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 this boondoggle of a chance. Right. So he goes. And he claims Vagar for himself. And it, immediately after that, as he comes back and he's confronted by his, 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 they would be his nephews, right? His, nephews, his nephews and, and his cousins, his right? Law? Yeah, I get weird. Again, Targaryen family, read, <laughs> you know, doing it off the top of the dome is never going to go well. But immediately as he's confronted by them, the, He's a completely different person. He's completely yes. transformed. The way that he speaks to them, the way that he walks up to them, right? The, the way that he claims, he says it with his own mouth, like, it, it was me. I claimed Vagar, right? Like, that wasn't there before, but he created it for himself. 
he grabbed that opportunity for himself. And then eventually he loses his eye for it. And what, what does he say? He says, mother, it was a fair trade. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon, you know? And like all of that is so terrifying to think about. Like he was such a young kid, but his mind was in a place where he was so calculated, so cold blooded, right? As I put in my piece, but was amazing and he ended up benefiting from it i guess we'll see i mean things are going to happen later on but in that same way with brandon miller i believe with his game and with all that he's been through and the way that he's being perceived right now that journey and his desire and all of that coming together i think will lead to an unbelievable basketball player is what i feel all right so before we wrap things up, so spoiler alert over for those of you who have not seen House of the Dragon or read Fire and Blood or been in that universe for many, many years now. So before we wrap up, you, as you mentioned earlier, are a Knicks fan. I, as longtime listeners of the podcast, know am a much-tortured Kings fan. And it's been an interesting start to the season for both of our teams. So I wanted to start out with you, you know, quickly before we wrap things up quick hit thoughts on the Knicks who are currently five and five as of our recording on Tuesday night. For sure. Um, I'll try to keep it short. Uh, The first thing that I want to say is that Jalen Brunson is worth every penny that we gave him. And he is. I figured you'd say that. (laughs) No, he's a really good basketball player. And, And I need people to understand that we're not paying him superstar money. We're paying him good player money and he's playing like a good player. So he's, adequately paid like if you look at his annual average salary value whatever it's totally fine he's not making 40 million dollars a year he's making like what what, i think it's like 26 or something like that he's totally worth it is what i'm trying to say he's a very good player he's already making our team better um i enjoy watching jalen brunson a lot is my first thing the second thing that i'll say is the cam reddish redemption tour is fantastic i'm really enjoying it a lot right now um reddish is playing really good defense he started like the last two three games for us um and that's even with you know quentin grimes you know slowly coming back and us having different options but he's been starting and he took over the starting starting job from evan fournier because of what he's been doing on the defensive side of the ball and so i did want to give cam reddish a shout out because cam reddish truly has been a boomer bust type of uh, player so far in his young NBA career. But um, although his scoring really hasn't come around yet, uh, what he's offering right now on the defensive side of the ball, which, you know, Tibbs famously loves, has been pretty damn good. And, and it's a reason why Tibbs is starting him right now because of what he's offering on the defensive end. And the last thing that I want to say, just another addition to the team that I've enjoyed, it, it's like I'll, I'll go half and half here. Um, I've enjoyed this version of Julius Randle a little bit more than I did last year. Not as good as two years ago when he was third team all NBA, but still, I mean, I, I, I get it. He's much maligned by our fan base because of his attitude, sometimes the way that he carries himself. But um, I've liked this version so far. He's passing the ball pretty well. He's shooting at a better clip. He had eight threes last night. Good for him. And the last point that I wanted to make was I really like Isaiah Hartenstein a lot. Like he's just so fun to watch and he really gives a shit about basketball and playing hard every single night. So that's it for me on the Knicks. It's I'm glad you brought up Cam Reddish because I think that's actually something very similar to Brandon Miller, where if the offensive side of the ball doesn't work out, that's where the versatility comes into play, right? You know, being that six, nine forward type who has the chops to be a solid defender, you know, Cam Reddish hasn't quite become the massive scoring threat that people hoped for when he was taken ninth overall, but you know, he's earned his way back into a starting spot on the strength of his 
defense, you know, because he's someone who had that many theoretical avenues to provide value at the NBA level. You know, the offensive side hasn't quite worked out, but, you know, the defensive side clearly has worked enough to buy his way back into the starting lineup. And, you know, if he can build confidence on the offensive end from there, then, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit further down the line than people thought, and maybe not quite the same high level outcome that people thought. But I mean, ultimately being a defense first starter in the NBA is not a position that many people can fill. So it's, it's nice to see that Cam Reddish is doing that over there. No, a hundred percent, man. It's been really great to watch. I hope we see more of it. Now Quentin Grimes is coming back and becoming healthier. So he will see some more minutes there, but overall, man, I, I agree with you. If things don't work out for Brandon Miller on the offensive side, he will offer that type of versatility on the defensive side, but I do believe he's going to figure out figure it out offensively. I, I'm that high on him. So, yeah. So very quickly before we wrap things up, just quick Kings thoughts. So the Kings are three and six at this point. They lost a three point game to the Warriors last night, which let's just say that the last two minutes report has already indicated quite clearly that Kevin Herter should have been taking free throws at the end of that game. And therefore the Kings should have, had a chance to tie late, which they didn't. This a couple days after a late travel by Tyler Harrow on a game winner that was also not in the last two minutes report, uh, also sank the Kings. So, you know, I'm not trying to be salty here. I actually do have a point, which is that the Kings are three and six right now, but they've been a really fun three and six. And there have been many Kings teams in recent years that have been miserable to watch and, you know, 25 to 30 win outfits. So this year, again, I have hope. I'm optimistic, which is always a poor decision as a Kings fan, but you know, here we go, whatever. But this three and six team, I think, has been a lot closer to being a 500 team than, you know, many teams who've started the year poorly. So cautiously optimistic, I think, is where I stand on the Kings through the first nine games. You know, there have been some good moments. Keegan Murray has had some strong games, he's had some not so strong games. But, you know, that's how it is for all rookies. De'Aaron Fox has been proving that he really should be at All-Star this year. Hopefully that continues. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it could be very easy to sort of lose hope after a poor start of the year, after an owed four start. But I've been encouraged about a number of little things on the Kings front, which is more than I can usually say. So I'll take that. Take that little bit of happiness and carry it with me for as long as I can. <laughs> Nick, before before you wrap this, I did want to ask. So. As you mentioned, um, this is a team that's been pretty entertaining to watch. Not like, you know, elite basketball yet in terms of what you've seen from the Kings so far. But did want to ask, do you feel like there is a move to be made? That last final piece that can get you guys over the hump. Do you feel like that might be something your front office is looking at? Ooh. And if so, and if so... Is there someone you have in mind? So there's not someone in particular I have in mind, but there are a couple of packages that I have in mind, if that makes sense. So, you know, far be it from me to be out on Harrison Barnes after I was out on him before the trade and have very rarely been more wrong about anything in my NBA evaluation career than how good or bad of a trade that was for the Kings to get Harrison Barnes in the first place. But at the moment, he's had a very slow start to the year. He's under 20% from three. And at the start of the year, 
it was Casey Alcala and Harrison Barnes as the forwards. And that quickly turned into Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray as the forwards. I think given how bad the Kings defense has been for many years now, that starting a defense first guy like Akpala makes a decent amount of sense. And, you know, again, Keegan Murray's had a couple of recent not so great games, but given that he's already earned his way into the starting lineup, I mean, it seems, you know, pretty clear that he's the heir apparent as one of the two forwards, at least. So I think that if the Kings can find a decent package that is basically Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes for whatever that gets you. I mean, I don't think it gets you all that much, especially since Holmes hasn't been playing all that much this year behind Sabonis and Barnes is having his worst year in a while. But I think those are the two guys who could have a bigger role someplace else and, or who make more sense someplace else that the Kings can look to trade. Now, in terms of what I want back, I mean, it's hard to think of a specific guy off the top of my head right now, but I think what the Kings would need in return for those two guys is a wing type shooting guard slash small forward, not like, you know, forward hybrid kind of guy, but someone who can play on the wing, who's defense first, but a three and D type of guy, you know, again, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a name off the top of my head, but. Well, there there is a guy on the block who I don't think you'd have to give that much up to get um, is a veteran and who kind of fits that mold. But, you know, one Jay Crowder out in uh, out in Phoenix is looking to get traded. (laughs) Maybe Jay Crowder is a guy that you consider to add to your team. See, I don't know if that was a troll point or not, but (laughs) on the last episode of this here podcast, Tyler Rucker and I went in depth on just how important Jay Crowder has been to how I evaluate draft eligible players. So of all the weeks to come on with the Jay Crowder troll, you pick the absolute perfect time, but (laughs) you know, I think there are, I mean, this is me saying this is a Kings fan, but I think there are definitely worse moves that could be made out there. You know, I think that, I mean, I don't know because Harrison Barnes has had a slow start to the year, but Mm -hmm. Harrison Barnes at his best is probably better than Jay Crowder at his best. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think Jay Crowder at his worst is probably better than Harrison Barnes at his worst because Barnes at his worst is not showing up on defense and taking a bunch of ill-advised shots with Mm -hmm. Jay Crowder. At least those ill-advised shots are three pointers and you know, he's going to be providing value on the defensive end. So I don't know. I mean, maybe you meant that as a troll, but I've certainly heard worse. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, again, I think really the point here is that the Kings could do better with their roster spots than Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes, just given what this specific team needs. Like, you know, they trade Barnes and Rashawn Holmes. They bring up Nimish Keita from the Stockton Kings to fill out, you know, backup center minutes if they need. They give more minutes to Keegan Murray and Casey Akpala in replacement for Harrison Barnes. And then, you know, if you can get a guy on the wing who can take some of the, say, Terrence Davis minutes off mm. the board, I think that'll be a plus for the Kings. Okay, I get it. So defense first, wing, three-point shooting, you want Duncan Robinson. Okay, cool. Good trade. A part of defense confused you there, Albert. <laughs> mm, so you want Duncan Robinson. Oh, Tobias Harris. Okay, cool. Great. This is this is fantastic. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Okay. And and on that 
happy, definitely not trolling at all note. Albert, what do you want to plug before we wrap things up here today? Um, what do I want to plug? I want to I want to plug my friendship with Nick. Um, we <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love Nick. We laugh a lot at our favorite baseball team, the New York Yankees, because at this point, the Yankees are a joke of a franchise and I'm going into a deep, deep depression. But, um, you know, no, I do want to say, Nick, I really appreciate you having me on today. This is a lot of fun for me. I mean, dude, what other place can we talk about basketball and House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones universe stuff? So this has been awesome for me. Um, what I do want to plug is... Uh, uh, my writing and my podcast stuff. You can find my writing at uh, no ceilings, uh, NBA.com. You can also find, uh, I do a weekly podcast with uh, my co-host, uh, Corey Tulliba. We are the Draft Act NBA podcast where we cover NBA draft prospects all the time. And we try to do it in a fun way and we do it in a way that we think is interesting. So please, if you enjoyed me on this show and you thought I was even like kind of you know, fun to listen to. Come check me out. I'm, I'm way more fun over there. I'm just kidding. This was a lot of wow, fun. Okay. I'm fun everywhere. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> Albert is Albert is a fun guy. And, I'm a fun uh, guy. Get paid, right? That's <laughs> no. But in all seriousness, you know, genuinely warmed my heart to hear you plug our friendship. It's been a ton of fun to be on this journey with you to make terrible jokes about the New York Yankees. Shout out Josh Donaldson, and you know just. <laughs> Just enjoy life here together on the No Ceiling Speed. Talk about basketball and House of the Dragon in one episode. I mean, man, what's not to love with that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was awesome, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, he is Albert. You can find him on Twitter at Albert O.E. Gim. And you can, of course, find his written work on the No Ceilings NBA website. Seriously, if you haven't already, just go and read Brandon Miller Has a Sapphire Eye. It's a ton of fun. A lot of great basketball knowledge in there, in addition to just a ton of fun House of the Dragon talk. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. And, of course, check out Albert and his co-host, Corey on the Draft Act podcast on this year No Ceilings podcast feed, which their Draft Act episode for the week will be going up the day after this Deep Dives episode goes up. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using, especially since we've just merged all of our No Ceilings NBA podcasts here onto one feed. Super important to go leave a rating or a review if you haven't already very much appreciated on our end. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email for feedback, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Cool.